Uh, we're starting a brand new series today uh, called God of the Underdogs. And uh, as we were preparing for this, uh, I started thinking about, you know, everybody loves a good underdog story. Um, whether it's, you know, David and Goliath or Rudy <laughs> or Rocky or, I mean, we could go on and on talking about underdog stories. But we all seem to really like that story of, the, of that one person or that one team who had no chance or purpose in winning. Um, usually in real life, we usually root for those who are underdogs. Um, and I, I personally, uh, one, of the, one of the best underdog stories in sports history actually happened to my beloved Kentucky Wildcats. Um, I, I'm a dar- diehard Kentucky Wildcat basketball fan. Uh, in football, we have nothing to root for. Um, so every game is an underdog uh, in football, but in, in basketball, uh, in the fifties, they played against a team called Texas Western, um, which, uh, went on to become the university of Texas at El Paso. Uh, and they were the first team to use five African-American, uh, starters. And they played against Kentucky, who was ranked number one in the nation at the time, who had five white starters. And, uh, they actually beat my, beat my wildcats, but they had, they were supposed to not even be close in winning. Uh, and so that's one of the best underdog stories uh, in, in real, from real life. But usually we really like to root for those people or, or those teams or those kind of things. Um, if, you, if you're into movies or TVs, uh, TV shows, usually you find yourself rooting for that one person on the show that is the one that is downcast and, and nothing good ever happens for. Um, so the question I want to ask you this morning is, what is it about the underdog that causes us to root for him? And I believe it's because that deep down, everybody's probably felt like an underdog at least once in their life. We look at ourselves and we think we don't, me- we don't measure up. Uh, we, don't, uh, we look at other people that, are, that we're dealing with or, or, or that we're uh, going about our life with, and our own insecurities will come out and become painfully aware. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you compare yourself to somebody else and you instantly notice something about yourself that they, that they have that you don't, uh, your own shortcomings. Well, no matter where we come from, how we've been raised, how successful we've been, what kind of awards we've won, what kind of riches and wealth we have achieved, uh, how many followers on social media you have, uh, friends on Facebook, uh, Twitter followers, or whatever, we still deal with being underdogs in a lot of challenges that we face. Now, I'm going to be transparent as I can through this, this series, and I'll say this, I know that I, I face this on a daily basis. I've, had, I've achieved uh, a minimal level of um, uh, success in ministry. I've had a couple of opportunities to serve at large ministry, uh, a large ministry uh, in Oklahoma. Some of you know Rama. Uh, I, I worked at Rama for 11 years, taught in the Bible school there, was the youth pastor and the young adults pastor there. Um, you know, had about 500 kids in the youth group during our heyday. We had about 350 to 400 young adults there. Uh, Sunday night services, when they would let us preach to the big church, there'd be anywhere between 800 to 1,200 people there on a Sunday night. And so it was, uh, it was you know, a really uh, a, a resources that, 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 you know, you don't get to enjoy uh, at too many places. And um, sometimes even having experienced that and come from that, I sometimes feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle in some things in my own life. 
having achieved that level of success in ministry, sometimes I still feel like I'm spinning my wheels in my relationship with God. Now, I'm, like I said, going to be transparent. And if you're, you know, one of those people that think that I'm making a negative confession, put your rocks down. I'm just trying to be real. Okay. Um, I, I know that, you know, sometimes when, you, when life happens and you got things going on and you haven't picked your Bible up for eight days, come on, somebody, don't, don't look at me like that. I pick my Bible up every morning and read it. Well, good for you. <laughs> Praise God. We all want to be you. But I, I'm saying those times when you, when, you, when you haven't prayed just to spend time with God, the only time you've prayed is, oh, God, help. <laughs> and you feel like your relationship with God isn't going like you want it to go. I've, I've felt like that in my own life. All right? Um, I believe that the reason we face these challenges like this and we, we're so painfully aware of our shortcomings is because we know ourselves better than everyone. Um, when I'm the most honest with myself, when I look in the mirror myself without putting on airs for anyone else, I can honestly admit that I'm not that great. Now, I'm not talking by faith. I'm not talking, I am the workmanship of God made in his image. I'm not talking about positive confession right now. Okay? I'm not talking about speaking the word over our lives. I'm not saying who we are in Christ. I'm talking about who you are when you get out of bed in the morning. Okay, That's what I'm talking about. All right? And if you will admit it to yourself, you're not that great either. And that's why you're so painfully aware of shortcomings in your life. That's why we all feel like underdogs. All right? um, the the, the problem with this is is we're all prone to this kind of thinking um, and we hide our excuses behind other things. Um, We use excuses to say why we can't do something when really we know if we had that if we had that chance we'd probably screw it up. (laughs) So we give an excuse logical legitimate reasons why we can't do something. Well, why I'm not the one for that job. Why we should be disqualified from, from, from getting our opportunity. Well, throughout this series, we're going to equip you to look at those excuses and proceed on with life anyway and become the full version of what God's created you to be. Come on, somebody. I want to help you, and I'm, I'm going to be helping myself, get through... Uh, these these t- challenges that we face, that our shortcomings come out so that you can go on and become everything God's called you to be. And you can operate at a level that you never dreamed yourself you could operate at. All right, We need to understand that even though we do have shortcomings, God already knew we had shortcomings and called us anyway. Come on, that deserves a better amen than that. God knew you had that shortcoming, and he still called you to do that. He knew, because why? He built you. <laughs> he, may, he knows you better than you know yourself, and he still called you. He still made you for this purpose. He is the God of the tremendously unqualified. <laughs> Those that have the shady past, he is your God. 
He is those who have a million excuses. He is your God, and he is for you, all right? So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at all the excuses. Uh, Some of these are excuses that successful people in the Bible uh, could have used and probably did use and were yet able to win because of their relationship with the God of the underdogs, all right? So the first excuse we're going to look at this week is this. I am not qualified enough. The word qualified means to officially be recognized as being trained to perform a particular job or to be certified. That's kind of a a really popular one right now. Uh, Especially, you see this a lot, uh, you can go and become a certified life coach. You know what I'm talking about? Or you can go and you can become a certified instructor in CPR or scuba or, or you can be certified to drive with your driver's license. I mean, I mean this is, that's, that's, what, that's what qualified means is that somebody else is backing up your ability. In Acts chapter 13, verse number 21, we read the story a little bit about David. And those of you who are regulars here at the church know that this is one of my favorite stories. Verse number 21 says, Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now check this part right here. He will do everything I want him to do. Now that's a pretty powerful statement. But notice who's saying it. It isn't somebody else. It isn't an organization. It isn't the, you know, the the DMV it's not the life coaching seminar it's not you know the 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 board of elders in a church somewhere or you know it's not an ordination party it is god saying this about david and he's saying this guy will do everything that i want him to do that's a pretty powerful uh, back up there, uh, uh, endorsement. I remember when I first got offered the job at Rama as the youth pastor, and if Jody was in here, she'd tell you, I, I sat literally, after I got back from the interview and, and, and processed this a little bit, I sat in my living room in a rocking chair, a big recliner type thing, and I literally sat there dumbfounded looking at the wall and could not speak. I just was like... I, I literally felt like I was, like I'd won American Idol. <laughs> I mean, in, in my circle at that time, you know, if, if you were a, a word of faith uh, minister uh, and you wanted to be a youth pastor at a big church, Raymond was it. I mean, that was where it was like you wanted to be in word of faith min- youth ministry and be at the top of the game. This is where you went. And, and you know, I mean, it, that church is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, they have 8,000 people on the roll uh, you know, Sunday mornings at that point in time, they were running about 5,000. Um, you know, it was, it was very overwhelming worldwide reach around the, around the world. Uh, it was a really big deal. 
And I sat in that living room in that recliner and I couldn't say anything and I couldn't hardly grasp what was going on. And I was going back and forth from being super excited for this opportunity to scared to death that what if I screwed up? Because now not only am I going to ruin my own reputation, but now I have the potential to ruin the reputation of a ministry that has a worldwide outreach and a TV audience and a following of 30,000 graduates and, and a following of people that have followed Brother Hagen around since the, you know, since he gotten healed, uh, back in the thirties. Uh, I, I mean, it was really, and, and I would teeter back and forth from excitement to fear and then, then I, I, would, I would teeter over into disbelief that this was actually happening. I, like any moment now, I'm going to wake up and this was all a dream. Now, everybody has probably had that. You've probably felt the same way when your big moment to do whatever it is that you do has come. Uh, you see those big moments in your life and, you, and you're nervous before you go. And it could be something as simple as getting up to give your first speech in speech class when you're in college. And you're... <laughs> maybe you got the job you always wanted to get everybody has had those moments of feeling unqualified if you've ever had this thought then you know what i'm talking about surely i am not the one that god would want to use right now not at this time not this instant not me This is what humans throughout history have felt, even though we have these romanticized versions of Bible uh, Bible creatures, Bible characters. Uh, Listen, we need to really put the human spin on these characters that we see in the Bible. I mean, I I love Richard Gere, but but Richard Gere's version of David is not the whole story. If you've ever seen the the King David movie with with Richard Gere playing him... uh, that's a very romanticized version. You all know I like to talk about Charlton Heston playing Moses. That is a very romanticized version of Moses. I don't believe at one time in the Ten Commandments does Charlton Heston stutter. But the Bible says Moses stuttered. <laughs> See, we, we need to understand that these romanticized versions that we have of Bible characters, that's not true. They all had issues with confidence. How do you know that? Because they were humans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I'm going to say even Jesus had this problem. Y'all remember the story when he was at the wedding at the Canaan, Canaan of Galilee and they ran out of wine? And his mom comes and says, hey, they're out of wine. Now, she knows he could do something. She knows he could fix this. And Jesus doesn't give the response that some religious people think that Jesus should have given. Some people think that Jesus would give them, you know, why would we serve wine at a wedding? This is a church function. He doesn't say that. Other people think that he would be like, I am, I am the supply that you need. Just merely touch me and be filled. I mean, you would think that you're going to give a Jesus answer. And what does Jesus do? What do you want me to do about it? 
I'm a guest here just like you. This is the Lord we're talking about. He gives a non-romanticized answer. It wasn't the Bible creature, it, uh, creature, character version. I don't know why I keep saying that. All right. It wasn't the English accent of Jesus of Nazareth. It just wasn't. This is how humans respond throughout history. These guys were human. And if we look at, the, at our text here, David actually came from very humble beginnings. When he was chosen to be king, it was literally like winning the lottery. He went from being a nobody to being thrust into the spotlight of the entire country of Israel. He was in no way perfect. In fact, David was somebody who screwed up quite a bit. I can, some of you are looking at me like, I can't believe you just said screwed up. I did. David messed up and fell short. Is that better? A lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, a fair... Um, you know, uh, I mean, we could just go on. He brought, he brought the ark in the way that they weren't supposed to bring it in on a car. I mean, he, he did a lot of things wrong. And in spite of all the things he did wrong, God was able to use David to change the course of a nation and make him what, is, what they consider now is still the greatest king in the history of Israel. Amen. David didn't even look like what a king was supposed to look like compared to somebody else. First Samuel chapter 16, let's go over there and look at this. When they arrived, uh, verse number 6, First uh, Samuel 16, verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, now this is David's older brother, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesus told his son uh, Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesus summoned Shemiah. But, and seriously, somebody needs to write and Old Testament phonics and how to say Old Testament names, really. I mean, and, and things like that. But anyway, that's secondary. All right. Jesus, uh, Jesse summoned Shemiah, but Samuel said, Neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 10 In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are all these. Are, are these all your sons? Are these all the sons you have? And Jesse replied, catch this, there is still the youngest, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We'll not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. Now he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. God didn't choose the oldest brother who looked like a king should look. He chose David, the youngest, the smallest, the ruddiest. 
to take the country in a new direction and replace the current king. Listen, David wasn't the obvious choice, but David was the one that God needed for the job. All right? Now, I want to say this to you. If you're taking notes, write this down. God isn't always looking for the obvious choice. He's looking for you. Come on, somebody. That was good right there. (laughs) Some of you don't believe it. That's why you didn't say amen. But God isn't looking for the obvious choice. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. All right? You don't have time to be scared about it. You don't have time to doubt it. Now listen, all you got to do is turn on the news right now, and it's real easy to get rattled about what's going on in the world today. Debt ceiling this, Obamacare that, government shutdown, rah, 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 the end of the world, antichrist, rah, 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 rah. I mean, we could just get all worked up about it real easy. Tribulation, oh my gosh, mark of the beast, oh, it's happening, oh, the end of the world, n- nuclear Iran, oh, nuclear Korea, oh, oh. You know, this isn't freaking God out at all. It's just not. It doesn't bother him. If Iran got a nuclear weapon tomorrow, God's not rattled at all by that. Some of you are like, "Uh, uh, you mean God's not a Republican from from the the United States? No, he isn't. (laughs) And if he's not afraid about what's going on in the world today, He's not afraid about using you to do something, come on somebody, in this world. If God is raising up generation after generation, and no matter where you are in the generation, whether you're one of the old ones or you're one of the ones coming up from from your children's age, okay? God's been raising up generation after generation after generation after generation, and he wasn't afraid about using the ones that came before you, and he's not afraid about using the ones that come after you, and if that's happened since the beginning of time, guess what? He's not afraid to use you. God is raising up people to serve in the body of Christ, and you're part of that body. So then one of the people that God's raising up right now is you. We can't wait till everything's perfect. We can't wait till we get our just right moments. Because if you wait till everything's perfect, you're going to miss it. I said to you guys a few weeks ago that the perfect condition for you to release your gift in is actually imperfect conditions. Because if things are perfect, we don't need you. (laughs) Listen, if things are perfect, we don't need me. If If everything's perfect, we don't need anything. All right? So the first thing I want to say to you in this is this, uh, in this series is this. You have permission to believe that God wants to use you even if nobody else believes it. You have permission to believe that God wants to use you even if nobody else believes it. Now, this is going to maybe rub people the wrong way and some people may be able to identify immediately with it. But even if those people that don't believe in you are close family members, including your parents or your children or your spouse, 
or your aunts and uncles or your grandparents or whoever. Listen, it doesn't matter if none of them believe in you. In this story right here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose something to you today. Jesse did not believe in David. How do you know that? Because he didn't even invite him to come to the house to meet the prophet. Now, you, some of you heard me say this before. When the prophet came to your house, that never happened. Unless he was going to tell you you're dying and you need to repent, or he was going to pronounce a big blessing on you. That's the only time it happened. So we knew, they all knew it was a big deal. It's like the biggest celebrity in the country coming to your house. And David doesn't get invited. He's out in the fields watching the sheep. Which means dad didn't believe, come on, in David. Listen, when people don't believe in your potential, your future, your call, you have to know this. If they don't believe it, God does. Come on, that's good stuff right there. If nobody else believes it, God believes in you. It could be whoever. Your coach, your teachers. I had a, had a counselor in high school tell me, Brent, you probably should just, you know, don't, don't even dream about going to college. You're, 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 you know, you're PSAT or whatever that thing is they made us take back in those days the PSAT I think is what it was the practice SAT you know what we're seeing here is is that you know you you could probably be somebody that just you know could be a a DJ or something but you know that's about it you know you're not you know good luck with that (laughs) one of of them the the same the same guidance counselor actually told my dad 20 years earlier she said um she said, you know, I, I wouldn't think about going to college or anything like that. You're probably going to do manual labor for the rest of your life. That's what she told my dad. My dad owns three businesses in town. One of them is worth about $10 million. The other two are a couple million apiece. And I don't know that my dad's done manual labor in 20 years. <laughs> I mean, Dave, David's, Dave, my cousin David's here. He's working... When they're on the job, my dad does a lot of this. Hey, while you're resting, go ahead and move that over there. My dad hasn't done actual manual labor in about 20 years. And, and the thing is, is those kind of people who we give access to to speak those things into our lives, some of you just need to stop listening to those people. And we need to start listening to what God is saying is to us. Where God is calling you to go has nothing to do with where you are right now. It's okay to believe that God wants to use you somewhere else in a way that you've never been used. David was watching the sheep, had nothing to do with where God was calling him. I mean, he's out there in the dirt watching sheep. I doubt very seriously when he was sitting in the palace getting a mani and a petty with with the crown being polished that he was like, bring a couple of sheep in here so I can reminisce from the good old days. Okay. 
You, you might be in a nine-to-five job right now. You may be unemployed. You may be addicted to drugs. You may be going through a divorce that's not final. You may be unsaved. You, you may be uh, you know, a, a millionaire right now. You may maybe have your own company. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are right now, God still has a call for you to do something else greater than you are right now. God knows who you are, God knows where you are, and God knows when in your life you are, and you are still chosen, this is good right here, to fulfill a God-given destiny on this planet. Next thing I want to say to you is this, surround yourself with people who do believe in you. And if that means you have to stop talking to people that don't, then you do that. Now I want you to check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11 says this, Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Now check this out. This may seem like such a pointless scripture. But Samuel makes a very powerful statement here. Go get him. We're not going to sit down until he gets here. Anybody ever been in a courtroom? What do they say before the judge walks in? All rise. What happens before the president walks in and they play hail to the chief? Everyone please stand. Then all of a sudden, dun, 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 dun. How awesome would that be if you were the president? You have your own theme music everywhere you walk in. Dun, 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 dun. That would have to be awesome. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just think of it. I mean, it, you know, Shaft in the 70s, everywhere he walked, I mean, how awesome was that? Those were great. I mean, your own theme music would be so awesome, and the president has it. But everybody rises to show respect for those in authority. All right? As soon as Samuel heard of David's existence, he immediately started acting as though David was the one. Why? Because he believed in David, even though David's family, come on somebody, didn't. Listen, Samuel believed, okay, well if that's the only one, that's got to be him. I'm not sitting down until he gets here. None of the rest of us are either. Samuel heard of David's existence and believed in his potential before he even saw David. And even though his own father didn't believe in him, Samuel became David's biggest supporter. He became the strongest voice of influence in his life. If you want to examine what's happening in your life right now, take a look at who you're hanging around with and examine your five closest friends. Because if the five closest people around you right now are dictating whether or not you have the encouragement to go forward. The five closest people to you are the strongest voices of influence in your life. And if you're just sitting back, chilling, and you're not feeling like you can go any further, you better check out who's talking to you. Because those people are luring you into a state of it's all just groovy, or I'm as good as I can get. I'm, I'm as big as I'm ever going to be. 
You need to surround yourself with somebody who has the, the permission to call you out and say, hey, you can do more than that. I know you can. At this stage of the game, you may be unqualified to be the fulfillment of your call, but putting yourself in the right company can be a strong aid to you becoming the next version of yourself. All the wrong stuff in your life added to the hand of God's anointing makes you the right person for the job. Let me say that again. All the wrong stuff in your life added to the hand of God's anointing makes you the right person for the job. What job is that? I don't know. Whatever. That's between you and God. You're supposed to figure that part out. I'm just telling you, you, listen, if nobody else tells you you can do it, you're going to hear me say it a million times. You can do it. You are the one God needs to do that. All right? Next, next is this. You have permission to believe that you're God's right person for the job. You are the one God wants to use. He placed the call and vision in your heart. And he is calling you to rise up and become it. What God wants to do in our world will require all of us. A new breed of underdogs. People who are not qualified right now but are willing to accept the call and become qualified. There's a world full of hurting, broken, desperate people and you have the answers. You've heard me say this before. If you got saved last week, you have more God in you than a person walking down the street who has none. And right now, you can influence their life in a stronger way than they can influence themselves. That's why God wants to use us. When God, uh, the, when God wants to do big things in our world, who does he use? He doesn't use the biggest of the big. He uses us. We have more potential together doing something than the biggest evangelist in the world today. All right? Now, in the next chapter of, 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 of 1 Samuel, David goes to deliver sandwiches to his brothers and comes back a hero that saves the country. What happened? David went with more than just his sling and his stones. He went with more than a sack full of lunches. He actually went with this knowledge. He believed that who he was at that point in time now had the power of God resting upon him. And with that belief, he made the first change in the nation of Israel. What change was that? He kept them from being slaves to the Philistines. Because nobody else who was, and listen, we're, we're, we're talking about all of his brothers were all there. All the ones that looked like the king and were handsome and, 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 and listen, all the rest of the warriors in the country were all there. But none of them had the power of God resting upon them. Except one person, Saul. Saul was anointed to be the king. And even though he had been anointed to be a, the king, he had been called to be the king. And David referred to him as the Lord's anointed all the way to the point where Saul died. 
At that stage, only one person in the camp could do what David did. And he didn't do it. This is what happens when the anointed people of God, who have the power of God resting upon them to become what God's called them to be, sit and do nothing. The job goes undone until somebody rises up to do it. I want to say to you right now, you are the somebody else. Come on, somebody. You are the one God needs. You are the one God has called. You are the one who, in in spite of all your shortcomings, in spite of the things you're unqualified for, you are the one that God wants to turn into from a shepherd boy to a king. Come on. From, from, a, from a nobody to a somebody, to somebody who's down over here, to somebody who's influencing thousands over here. Come on, God wants you to be that person. And with his power resting on your life, you are qualified. Why? Because we serve a God who's for us and not against us. Heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm done. Lord, thank you for our time together today. I thank you that you choose to use